93.3 Live on the web rthk.org.hk Money Talk Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong at the end of the week Friday the 23rd of September This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to Money Talk on Radio 3 In a flurry of central bank monetary policy tightening around the world in the past 24 hours, eight out of 11 central banks that met yesterday have raised interest rates following the Fed's decision to hike its main policy rates by 75 basis points. Yesterday morning, Hong Kong's de facto central bank, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, raised the city's base rate by 75 basis points to a 14-year high of 3.5% effective immediately. Hong Kong's note-issuing banks, HSBC, Standard Chartered and Bank of China, yesterday announced that they are raising their best lending rates by 12.5 basis points. It's the first increase in prime rates since September 2018. This will bring HSBC's and Bank of China's prime rates to 5.125%. Standard Chartered's will go to 5.375%. Financial Secretary Paul Chan warned on Thursday that the interest rate hike in the US will likely slow down external demand and hit Hong Kong's exports, but he said he doesn't think it will lead to any sharp drop in the city's property market. He did warn, though, there was a very high chance Hong Kong will end the year in recession. Elsewhere in Asia, Indonesia, the Philippines and Taiwan all contributed to the global tightening yesterday by raising rates. The one holdout, the Bank of Japan, maintained its policy rates at minus 0.1% and left its forward guidance on rates unchanged. In Europe, the Bank of England increased the bank rates by 50 basis points to 2.25%, the seventh consecutive rate hike and pushing borrowing costs to the highest since 2008. The central bank warned the UK may already be in a recession and said it expects inflation to peak at just under 11% in October, having previously forecast it would reach 13% next month. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of Econosis Advisory and Sunil Kashap at FinMet. With a view from South Korea is Peter Kim from KB Securities. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street overnight, U.S. stocks posted their third straight daily decline and bonds fell once again. The S&P 500 slid 0.8% to 3,758, taking its weekly loss to 3% and its decline for 2022 so far to over 21%. The Dow closed 107 points lower, or a third of a percent, at 30,077. The Nasdaq Composite shed 1.4% to 11,067. The tech-heavy index now is down 3.3% on the week and over 29% year-to-date. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index slumped 1.8%. London's FTSE 100 fell 1.1%. Hong Kong stocks suffered a significant sell-off yesterday. The Hang Seng Index dropped below the 18,000 mark for the first time since December 2011. The benchmark tumbled to as low as 17,965 before ending the day with losses of 297 points or 1.9% at 18,148. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index fell as much as 2.4% at one stage to the lowest level since the end of 2008 
before closing 1.1% lower. The tech index slumped 1.7%. Alibaba tumbled as much as 4% at one stage to the lowest since mid-March before closing 2.7% lower. Tencent retreated 2.4% at the low of the day to a four-year low. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index fell a third of a percent to 3,109. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is on track to register a fourth straight weekly decline for the first time since December. It settled yesterday, though, 0.7% higher at $90.46 a barrel. October natural gas contracts closed almost 9% lower Thursday. That's the lowest level since July the 15th. Nat gas is now on pace for a fifth weekly decline. In the agricultural complex, December wheat futures hit $9.23 a bush, a bushel, the highest since July the 11th, and it's on pace for its fourth weekly gain in five weeks. Gold is unchanged at $1,672 an ounce. Bond yields surged again on Thursday. The yield on the interest rate sensitive U.S. two-year note jumped 12 basis points to 4.12%. That's the highest since October 2007. The yield on the 10-year bond surged 18 basis points to 3.71%. That's the highest since February 2011. And the 10-year UK gilt yield surged 19 basis points to 3.5% to the highest since March 2011 after the Bank of England hiked rates and promised more were to come. In the currency markets, the US dollar index was unchanged and is at its highest level since 2002. Japan has intervened in the currency markets for the first time in 24 years to try and strengthen the yen. The Japanese currency weakened yesterday through 145 per dollar for the first time since 1998, hitting a low of 145.89 Japanese yen. But it then rebounded to as high as 140.36 in the space of just a few minutes in the currency's most volatile day since 2016. This morning, it's at 142.35 against the dollar. The euro is unchanged at 98 and a third cents. Sterling overnight hit a 37-year low of $1.12.3 cents against the dollar. Right now, it's trading at $1.12.6 cents and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 84 cents. The offshore Chinese yuan extended its drop to 7.10 per US dollar. That's a 26-month low. It's recovered a little this morning to 7.08 versus the dollar. And uh, Bitcoin, that's up almost 5% at $19,400. Around Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, in Australia, the SX200 is down 0.9%. Markets are closed in Japan for a public holiday. The Cosby in South Korea off half a percent and futures markets pointing to a decline of 50 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Just gone 8.10. Much to talk about this morning, so let's welcome our guests we have with us once again on Fridays. Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. And also with us, Sunil Kashap, Director at FinMet. Morning to you, Sunil. Good morning. Now, as I mentioned earlier, according to my calculations, eight out of 11 central banks that met in the past 24 hours have raised interest rates. Let's start here in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority, our de facto central bank, raised the city's basis, uh, base rate 
by 75 basis points to a 14-year high of 3.5%. Um, And Hong Kong's note-issuing banks, HSBC, Standard Chartered and Bank of China, announced they're raising their best lending rates by 12.5 basis points. Andrew Sunil, first of all, what is the impact of this going to be on Hong Kong, do you think? Well, let's start with uh, a factual correction. I'm being totally facile here a bit. Actually, yes, Japan didn't raise interest rates. And guess who actually cut interest rates? Turkey. Thank you. I was going By to 100 you. basis points, <laughs> even I, though its inflation I, is at 80%. And the real interest rate is a minus 68. 68. I absolutely adore this, Peter. You have no idea well, why, how, if we're how be, it pleases me. Anyway, if we're going to be Hong- very factual then. <laughs> do you know which was the other central bank that left rates on hold yesterday? Sorry, you caught me. Okay. Egypt. <laughs> no, it did. It's, it's no good luck. I, I was counting. <laughs> but I was absolutely adore this. Turkey cuts interest rates. Great. Okay, back to Hong Kong. Uh, the notion that somehow the property market is going to escape it, it is always the same. I've lived here for 37 years, and, uh, you know, the Hong Kong property market is, is Teflon-coated. You know, nothing ever sticks, which is, of course, totally untrue because I remember what happened the two years before 97. I know exactly what has happened in uh, the crash of 87. So so you think are, Paul Chan's wrong here. He says it's not going to have an impact on the property market because there's other things that affect it as well. Yeah, and the other things are affected as well is, for example, how much people are, uh, are geared by how much the interest rates increase. Incidentally, it isn't true that in Hong Kong, if the interest rates in the United States, I'm just making this up, is 7%, Hong Kong interest rates will also be 7%. It, is, it just isn't true. In other words, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority raises interest rates as much as it is appropriate to maintain the peg. And uh, if the Fed increases by 75 basis points, they don't need to. Actually, if we go backwards, okay, uh, from the time that the Fed started to increase, I've forgotten, it was oh, eight months, nine months ago. Actually, the, the Hong Kong interest rates lagged quite significantly for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, ap- apparently not now. So I'm not that sanguine that the property market is simply going to escape it with the fact that uh, we are having the reverberation of one year of incredibly poor economic performance, and it is widespread accepted now that for this year, year 22, we're going to have uh, a shrinkage of uh, GDP growth. Well, and on top of that, we have an increase in interest rates with the prospect of another 75 and possibly another 75. You know, uh, I, would not, uh, I would not rush out and order a turkey for Christmas. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I would I would have maybe a more positive uh, or not not positive, but at least try to look at some uh, the other side of the coin. I think um, you know what what Andrew's saying is true at this moment, but I think uh, the government has already started reacting in terms of opening up Hong Kong and trying to do what it can in terms of measures to uh, try and counteract uh, the negative impact of higher interest rates. Um, on the economy. And so I think what you're going to see is a slew of measures by the government to try and uh, provide stimulus uh, to the economy um, and, and, and make an attempt to offset the, the increase in, uh, in the monetary rates. Surely the only one that really matters is removing these pandemic restrictions. That's the one that's going to make the difference, isn't it? Not piecemeal, but everything. Get rid of them. Yes, uh, good. Uh, uh, I mean, I think they've already started making the right noises, and I think that's one. Of, I think one of the driving factors has really been the fact that they know that the interest rates are going higher, and they need to act now to try to offset the negative impact. 
Peter, there, there is also a very interesting point, and I'm not being, again, facetious, neither uh, armchair critic. Okay, we're going to get rid of uh, the, uh, the quarantine with hotels, but people will have to self-quarantine and self-test for mm. seven days at home. Well, hang on a minute, that takes care of all tourism. <laughs> Tourists don't have homes in Hong Kong. Well, so, that's why I'm wondering, isn't it yeah. better to just remove everything, yeah, not exactly. just the hotel quarantine? We've got to get rid of everything. Well, remember, if they remove the hotel quarantine and then they say, that realistically, if we're, going to, if we're going to attract tourists, we cannot have uh, self-imposed at-home quarantine, okay, then, mm. uh, you know, we strongly advise people to take tests. Also, they will not, they cannot have tests coming in because if you have a test which is negative, Sorry, which is positive. In other words, you are infected and you are a tourist and you come back to Hong Kong. Penny Bay welcomes you. I mean, you know, they're mm. not, uh, this is not going to work, which means, as you say, they have to lift everything. And that means that uh, they are, you know, poking uh, rather fiercely on the side of China that still maintains them. And if China is willing to see Hong Kong, which is part of China, okay, not having any restrictions. In other words, zero COVID has gone out of the window. Oh, boy. I'd love to see this. And I think the Chinese will be, uh, they don't need my advice, definitely. It will be very wise to say, yes, Hong Kong is different and mm -hmm. the frontiers will stay closed. And people from Hong Kong coming into China and China coming to Hong Kong will have different things. But Hong Kong, it's on its own. So, yeah. Neil, to your point about um, you know, uh, lifting the restrictions or the steps being taken, uh, we had the latest semi-annual survey by the China Development Institute and the London think tank ZN Partners, which evaluates 119 financial hubs globally. And they say in their latest report, the Global Financial Centers Index, Singapore has now overtaken Hong Kong as one of the world's leading international financial centers. Singapore jumped from sixth place to third place behind New York and London. Hong Kong fell to fourth. So it is starting to have an impact, isn't it? Certainly in people's perceptions anyway of Hong Kong's standing. Yes, uh, that's true. And I think that's why the government is acting. So I, and I think it's unreasonable to expect them to take one bold step and open everything up. But I think the, the move is in the right direction. They're clearly showing that they are sensitive to feedback. Uh, you saw what's happened with the marathon and, and the sevens, mm. etc. So I think we're moving in the right direction. Finally, that action is being taken where I don't want to use this word, but I will, which is we're sort of decoupling in terms of the COVID response from the mainland. Um, and we're recognizing the fact that Hong Kong has its own dynamics, especially with the peg and interest rates going up. But so, why not be bold, though? Why not, rather than these baby steps, which always leaves us behind everyone else, why not be bold, try and get ahead of the curve, not just the whole the quarantine requirement, the, the requirement for PCR tests before you get on a flight, stay-at-home requirement, mask mandates, gathering bans, get rid of the whole lot. Well, you see, if the way it's been done in other countries has been step-by-step, step, right? Of course, we're lagging in terms of the way we're doing it, but if you compare ourselves with the other countries in the region, whether it's, it's Taiwan or it's Korea or Japan, they've all moved in step-by-step step basis. Of course, they're way ahead of us. So I think that's why you need to be cautious. If, things go, if they do one bold step and things go out of control, you'll have a backlash. Mm. Not only that, but there is a huge unanswered question. If, uh, if, if it is true that we are now in a non-zero COVID, people will say, over three years, I lost my job, I lost all my savings, and now we're being told uh, that was not the right policy. 
Oh, that's uh, that's true around the world, right? <laughs> so let's yeah. not go down that road because I think it's it's. Uh, I'm sorry, this is just not true. I mean, when you go to UK, when you go to Italy, to France, the kinds of policies that were imposed were, in a sense, temporary. You know, UK has not been under effectively closed down for three years. Come on, now. let's let's compare apples with apples, not apples with bananas. That was not true for the rest of the world. It wasn't. <laughs> not the period of time is different, uh-huh. but the. F- process was the same right i mean the uk was locked down considerably for six months we were never locked down like like the uk was so mm-hmm. i think you know hong kong has its own dynamics and i think you have to look forward and and say that we are on the right course um, and the government is keen to take action the the point we're basically saying is that look there's going to be a negative impact of the interest rate increases but steps are being taken to try and offset that let me play bad devil's advocate a bit, particularly with you, Andrew, because I like doing that. Um, Hong Kong base rates, 3.5%. So what? It's no big deal, is it? I mean, you know, in the 1990s, at the last peak, they were much higher. In the 70s and 80s, uh, they were in double digits. Does it really matter that they've gone to 3.5%? Well, there are, there are two answers to that. One, of course, is a proportional rise. If you, if you go from 1 to 3 that is a 200% increase in interest rates, okay? So in absolute terms, it might not make any difference, but in proportional terms, it is quite a significant... Uh Sorry, but sneezing inside my, my surgical mask, not, <laughs> not, not the best way of doing it. Uh, the second part, it is, uh, it is uh, how much more they are likely to go. So mm. in other words, you are now three and a half, and if the Fed uh, clears its throats and it says we're going to go for another one and a half percent, well, that pushes up to five percent, and uh, the, the, the thing begins to change a little bit. You, you, are, you, also, are, you are right, the absolute looks very small. Like, come on, three percent interest rates, you know, who cares kind of thing. But, but the answer is, is <laughs> a lot of people will when they were paying zero before. And also, it's also against the backdrop of what's happening uh, to the, the local economy, right? You have a situation where uh, there's so much impact in terms of service industry. Uh, people have been laid off. Mm-hmm. Um, the mainland is slowing in terms of economic growth. The exports are slowing. So overall, uh, the impact uh, would be f- is, is more detrimental compared to a situation where, for example, uh, you know the the city was fully open, uh, travel was open, business was as usual. Mm. I suppose to answer my own question, the other thing is that that makes it different this time is affordability, isn't it? Mortgages um, back in the 1990s were much more affordable for people because they had far less debt, so it was a uh, a much smaller part of their disposable income. Now people are far more indebted and therefore they're having to pay much more out of their disposable income to service uh, not only their debts, but uh, their mortgages as well. That's right. And, and most, most mortgages are, are floating rates. So as mm. the short-term interest rates go up, it starts biting faster. Let me ask you about the impact of all of this on the markets. I mean, the, uh, we've seen, obviously, impact in the stock market, but maybe the biggest impact has been in uh, the currency markets, the US dollar is just surging. There doesn't seem to be anything uh, that seems to be able to stop it. We had Japan now intervening in the currency markets for the first time in 24 years yesterday uh, to try and stop uh, the slide in the yen. Uh, we had the Korean won, uh, which is uh, the lowest level now since 2008. The offshore Chinese yuan is at a 26-month uh, low. It seems um, that you know all the the mistake, really, that the Fed has made in taking too long to uh, to raise interest rates is now affecting, now being exported around the world through the currency markets. What, what do you think? 
That that means two things. It means that for countries that have got a conscious foreign exchange rate policy, it means, yes, that they will have to increase interest rates in countries that they don't have a foreign exchange rate policy, like apparently Turkey or Japan. It, it doesn't mean anything. It means, yes, so it wins up. Okay, it is one-on-one economics. You can either have the quantity or the price, but not both. So in this particular case, is if uh, if you don't control your interest rates, you let your foreign exchange go. <clears throat> and uh, I am not quite sure this absolute terror that uh, we have weakened currencies versus the U.S. dollar. Uh, one could weakly argue that this makes us more competitive, but this is nonsense because you have to see the, the exchange rates of, uh, let's say, the sterling versus the euro, the euro versus the yen. I mean, all of them one against the other before you actually say that this gives us a relative uh, competitiveness versus whom? Versus mm. United States? United States is not necessarily one of the biggest markets that people are exporting to. Okay, one of the biggest markets they're exporting to is China. So I'm much more interested to see the relative movements of the yen rather than saying that, good God, the euro is now well, well below parity. Actually, and it is, it's 90 point. It is 98 or something points as opposed to, to, to one. So it, I'm afraid, oh God, this is horrible. This is quite a complex question. In other words, you don't say we are all better competitive against whom? <laughs> Just the United States? And the answer is, is no, of course not. Mm. Yes. Some of us are less competitive against each other, despite the fact that our currencies have collapsed. So, you know, you have, you have it both ways wrong. Yeah, I think, you know, coming back to what the Asian um, currencies are doing in terms of currencies, I think there's been, uh, there was an initial uh, reaction to try and uh, safeguard the currency and, 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 and intervene or try to uh, have, a, have a slow weakening of, of the currency. But recently what I've seen is crit critical levels have been breached on the downside and, and currencies have got weaker. And I think the... the is exactly what Andrew is saying. I think the, the governments are saying, okay, look, let our currency uh, depreciate because all currencies are depreciating mm -hmm. against the US dollar. Mm -hmm. And and the way they're also reacting is by finally looking at ways to increase interest rates mm -hmm. uh, and get onto that bad wagon, which they were trying to resist. So, you know, several countries like Thailand and, and, and mm -hmm. yeah, Taiwan and India have, have got into that pattern. Okay. Also. Well, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You heard the Sunil Cash App Director at FinMet, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Eight twenty-five on the phone from Seoul, South Korea, is Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. Morning, Peter. Good morning, Peter. And uh, let's get your thoughts then on uh, what's going on with the central banks. We've had eight out of 11 central banks that met over the past 24 hours raising interest rates. There almost seems to be now a, a, a sort of a reverse currency war going on. The central banks are trying to outdo each other now in how much they increase rates. We don't see 25 basis points anymore. We get 50, 75 uh, in the case of Sweden and Canada, 100 basis point moves now to try and stem these dollar declines. Where is this all going to end? Um, I think, first of all, a uh, better description of what's going on is rather than central banks fighting, it's really trying to catch up to the FOMC. Um, I think a couple of points that the wheel should remind us of that we've never seen uh, our inflation in 40 years. Mm. Uh, second, uh, we haven't seen rate hike as drastic and aggressive as this uh, in the modern era. Uh, and I think uh, I, uh, I have to 
blame a lot of this uh, on the FOMC by not uh, being transparent and being behind the curve and have really taken a lot of the other central banks around the world by surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second, second part is that uh, the currency impact of this, I think uh, we have been given a blessing by the fact that some of the weaker part of Asia uh, uh, have been blessed with the uh, strong commodity prices uh, that is sort of uh, 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 assuaged some of the uh, financial risks. But still, um, I don't think uh, we should feel at all comfortable. So let's give some kudos to the one central bank in the world that I think got it right, Brazil. In March 2021, when the US Fed was still buying, what, $120 billion of securities a month, they started raising their rates uh, by 75 basis points at the time because they thought there was going to be a surge in global commodity prices that would trigger inflation. Turns out, doesn't it, they were spot on if only the Fed had done the same thing. Right. Uh, again, uh, uh, first ex- time experience for me uh, to have uh, Brazil getting ahead of the curve on anything. <laughs> uh, and second, that's giving, giving uh, them credit over the either major central banks. Uh, I think uh, uh, you can see by the Brazil's currency, one of the strongest currencies uh, in the world, not just within the emerging markets. Um, and on the other side of the spectrum is the uh, Japanese yen. Um, I think uh, the Japanese uh, uh, currency has really taken a lot of other central banks by surprise and alarmed them uh, into this, uh, what I think uh, was the initial part of the trigger uh, that has led to the, uh, the currency volatility. But surely the Bank of Japan can't carry on for long as the only bank now, central bank, with negative interest rates. It's just not feasible, is it? No. Well, um, you know, Japan is so unique and extreme in so many ways, isn't it? Um, You know, they've really carried on a a very unconventional policy for 30 years. So I would never discount them continuing on this path. Mm. Uh, uh, I do believe that um, uh, in the next six months, uh, the relative realignment of central bank policies uh, and the currency stability is probably a precondition uh, for us to start to uh, look for uh, some uh, uh, footing in the economy, which I believe we should just admit the fact that uh, global economy is going, has to go through a recession now. Mm. Well, uh, my, that's what... That's what the World Bank is warning, isn't it? They're saying it's going to go into recession. And this is going to be like the early 1980s now, where there was a surge in global interest rates, a slump in trade, which led to the Latin American debt crisis. Right, right. Um, I think one of the surprises uh, of the past couple of weeks is that there's still talk about a possibility of a soft landing. And I think uh, we all <laughs> have to admit now that, uh, you know, no it's chance. not about a recession. No yeah, chance, I mean, is there? I think... We should, we, should, we should think about what sort of recession. Is mm. it going to be a deep, long, short? Um, uh, I think that's the uh, uh, question that we have to tackle. Uh, and which camp are you in? Nouria Rubini was saying the other day, this is going to be a deep, long, hard uh, recession with stagflation. Um, what camp are you in? Do you think it will be that or not as bad as that? Well, I, I, uh, I think Mr. Rubini uh, is comfortably in the most extreme and bearish case scenario. Uh, and hopefully we'll uh, hit somewhere in the middle uh, between a soft landing and Mr. Rubini. Um, um, I do think that we have the opportunity uh, to uh, come out of a recession that uh, I think uh, uh, could be uh, much more gentler. Um, and I think that depends on what China does. 
uh, and what the supply side of inflation, uh, a lot of the bottlenecking on the uh, the capacity uh, mm-hmm. supply chain. These are all issues that um, higher interest rates are not going to fix. Okay, uh, so Peter. we may get a break uh, by uh, having the supply side of uh, inflation resolve itself. Okay, Peter. Well, thank you for your thoughts there. That's Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Amid all that gloom, let's take a final look at the markets, which are equally gloomy. The ASX 200 in Australia, off now 1.1%. Markets in Japan are closed uh, for a public holiday. In South Korea, the Cosby is down 0.6%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall another 50 points or so at the open this morning. Do have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is Back Chats with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast, mainly fine and hot. Going to be about 32 degrees in urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. Windy in the next few days, sunny periods and isolated showers during the weekend. Temperature right now, 28 degrees, 79% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The chairman of a Hong Kong real estate agency says he expects activity to slow down in the property sector after five major banks in the SAR raised their interest rates for the first time in four years. Nicholas Brook, the chairman of Professional Property Services, said the move was largely anticipated after the U.S. Federal Reserve hiked interest rates. He said he expected to see buyers taking a more measured approach. Hong Kong recorded 5,990 new COVID infections yesterday, including 163 imported cases. More than 2,200 patients are now being treated in public hospitals, including 20 in intensive care. 17 more people with COVID have died. Dr. Albert Al from the Center for Health Protection says it appears that a current wave has peaked, and he expects a further decline in the daily caseload. It is pretty obvious now that the peak is really over and the COVID situation is trending down. In terms of sewage surveillance and also hospital admission numbers, they are stable and they are actually trending down also. Also, BA5 is taking up a pretty high proportion. And in the light of overseas experience, BA5 is hitting something like 80%. It would be hitting a plateau and the caseload in the community will be coming down on a gradual basis. Police have arrested three more private doctors on suspicion of issuing exemption certificates for COVID jabs without performing medical consultations. Officers said the doctors, two men and a woman, have clinics in Yunlong, Tin Soiwai and Chai Wan. Police said suspicions were raised by the number of certificates issued. Overseas now, Japan has decided to lift its tough border controls on foreign visitors from the 11th of October, ending two and a half years of COVID-related isolation. The Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said the government would eliminate the cap on visitor numbers and allow visa-free travel for individuals.
And astronomers say they've observed a hot bubble of gas orbiting at an astonishing speed around the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. Data from a radio telescope in Chile suggested the bubble had an orbit similar in size to that of Mercury's around our sun. But calculations show that before it was destroyed by Sagittarius A, it orbited the black hole in 70 minutes instead of the 88 days Mercury takes. Astronomers said this required a mind-blowing velocity of about 30% of the speed of light. The immense pull of Sagittarius A, with 4 million times the mass of our sun, gives our Milky Way galaxy its characteristic swirl.